This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. I'm Scott Greenberg, also known as The Vine Guy. In this podcast, we'll delve into the world of wine with winemakers, wine producers, wine professionals, and wine lovers. We'll even sample a few wines and share which ones we think are worth your while. In this episode, I talk with Peter Mundavi Jr., co-owner of Charles Krug Winery, Napa Valley's oldest winery, and home to more than 500 acres of vineyard land. We'll chat about how his family came to own the winery, where it's headed in the future, and how the winery gives back to the community. Peter, it's a genuine pleasure to have you in the studio today. Scott, it's absolutely great to be here. Um, now, Charles Krug, clearly recognized as Napa Valley's oldest winery and home to over 500 acres of vineyard land, probably best known for producing classic Bordeaux varietals, including expressive Cabernet Sauvignon, which we're going to try in a little bit. What is it like to be the steward of such a respected and honored legacy? Well, there's uh, just an absolute solid and wonderful foundation that both uh, Charles Krug, my grandparents, Cesare and Rosa, and I, my dad, Peter, and my uncle, Robert Mondavi, as well, have built that, that we're just uh, you know building upon and adding to. Uh, but yeah, there is quite a legacy that we need to, to carry on here. Uh, but the foundation built uh, makes it a little bit easier. So you mentioned Robert Mondavi, and a lot of people know Robert Mondavi Winery which actually did sell to Constellation Brands several years ago, while Charles Krug, in the hands of Peter Mondavi and et al., your brother Mark, uh, has continued to thrive. And you're the third generation and getting ready to onboard the fourth generation. How do you maintain a family winery through all the changes that are now going on in not just Napa, but in the wine world throughout the world? Uh, I think there's two uh, areas of focus. One is the passion, carrying on, passing on the passion to subsequent generations, uh, which uh, my parents did very well, uh, passing on to both Mark and uh, myself. Uh, and I think our kids are, are passionate about it as well. There's six kids between our two families in the fourth generation. Um, so that's very important. That's that's uh, fundamental, in fact. Uh, and the other thing is is the utmost priority in maintaining a family-owned business, 100% family-owned, no partners other than our regular bank loans. Uh, <laughs> outside of that, 100% uh, family-owned, and, and that's really what has kept us going for uh, last year. We celebrated 75 years of family ownership of Charles Krug, and um, fourth generation, our kids are, are engaged. Uh, and so we do see a clear path into the fourth generation um, and then hopefully beyond. But a brief little family history so we kind of understand the family ownership. Uh, my grandparents, of course, bought the Charles Krug Winery in 1943. My dad, Peter, and my uncle, Robert Mondavi, ran it together. And then in 1966, Robert split off from Charles Krug and started his winery, uh, of course, Robert Mondavi Winery. Um, shortly after that, uh, Dad bought out Robert's ownership within Charles Krug. So at that point forward, Charles Krug is 100% owned by Dad's lineage. Robert's out on his own with, of course, his winery. 
goes public in, I believe it was 1994, and then sells in 2004 to Constellation. So uh, no family left at Robert Mondavi, but Robert's kids, Tim, Michael, and Marcy, have went on to start other wine endeavors as well based in Napa Valley. So you can see the the uh, the DNA of wine runs very deep in our family. Absolutely, and the Mondavi name runs very deep throughout Napa Valley and actually throughout, again, I would say globally in the wine world. And it's, it's remarkable. Now, I once read that between you and your brother, Mark, you've been making wine from grapes grown in your vineyards for decades. And it's been said that you can actually taste the love and dedication in the wine. I love that. Tell me, how does one taste love and dedication? Well, I think it, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's our family style. It's, it's an expression of our passion. It's uh, the involvement, the direct involvement we have uh, in the vineyards and the, and the winemaking, uh, the stylistic direction. Uh, our roots go back to Italy, and there wine is, is just on the dinner table as a regular beverage. That's how we view wine as uh, a, a beverage to be enjoyed and enhance uh, the din- dining experience uh, with family and friends, a uh, very social environment. Um, and so that's our wines are crafted to really complement the food. There are wines um, uh, made throughout the world. Um, Napa Valley has its, its number of these wines that my dad used to refer to these as cocktail wines. Very, uh, very big, very opulent, very expressive wines, uh, but so much so that they would compete and diminish the food on the table. They would overpower the food. So dad says, have them as a cocktail and then move to the dining table and have wines of our structure and, and caliber. Interesting. Okay. That's, I've, I've, ever, I've never heard that. That's actually, I, I love the idea because I love wine that goes with food. Yes. So, I mean, you can tell <laughs> looking at me, right? You know, I certainly love the food part. Um, now, you mentioned Italy, uh, Cesare and Rosa. I assume they, they came over from Italy, right? Yeah, they yeah. came over in 1908 uh, through Ellis Island. Okay. And how did they end up, A, in California, and B, buying a winery? I mean, way yeah, back it, then, it, kind it's, of unheard of. It's a very interesting route. They came over. They were just married in November of 1908 in their home village uh, in Italy. A very, very modest means. Uh, my grandma was 18 years old, grandfather a couple years older. Um, two weeks after their wedding, I kind of joke, and they took their honeymoon cruise, which ended in Ellis Island. Uh, not a very luxurious one, and they landed with about twenty or thirty dollars in their pocket. Uh, they made their way immediately to northern Minnesota, and again, this is like in December, so to enjoy the weather up there. <laughs> so, uh, no, why did wow. they end up there? It is it's what is clear is there were family and friends that were already there in northern Minnesota that sponsored them to come to the United States. Northern Minnesota, yeah. Okay. And so there is a segment of, of Italians from this part of Italy that ended up there. Why they ended up there, I, I really don't know. Uh, but my grandparents followed them. And a side note, uh, our family, our family history has no winemaking in it in Italy. Yeah, of course, they had, you know, they made, made homemade wine. They enjoyed wine on a regular basis, as all Italians or most Italians do. Um and through some very interesting twists, um, and we'll just 
jump right into prohibition. My grandfather was operating a grocery store, and the Italian community up there um, circled around him and said, go to California and find us some wine grapes so we can make our homemade wine. Which now, was allowed at the time? Yeah, there's, okay. you could make yeah. um, four barrels of wine, about 200 gallons of wine uh, per household. So we went to California with the train, took the train out, and secured some grapes. Uh, Zinfandel was the primary grape. Okay. Uh, Carignan and Alicante were also Right, Alicante uh, Boucher played yeah. a very big role during Prohibition. And so he started shipping grapes and selling them through the uh, grocery store. Actually, they would sell them right off the railroad siding. Uh, but I guess the business went through the, the grocery store. And after a couple of vintages, he saw the potential of this business. Now, my grandparents were basically uneducated. They, they went through um, uh, eight years old, about third grade equivalent uh, there. And my grandfather just turned into this amazing entrepreneur. So in 1922, he moved the family to Lodi, California, which at that point was the heart of the grape and vegetable and right. fruit packing sure. and shipping business, um, and built up a very viable, very large uh, grape shipping business, mainly to the northeast of the United States, where the concentration of immigrants from winemaking countries resided. So they knew how to make the wine. Uh, built it up, it was very successful. Uh, and that afforded my grandparents uh, the ability to purchase Charles Krug Winery in 1943 for the grand sum, expensive in those days, of $75,000. Wow. It's worth a little more today. I, yeah, I think it is. So, <laughs> you know, I think if you, uh, you know, equate those, uh, those $1943 to $2019, I'd still make the same yeah, investment. I would too. That's great. So there they are. Um, now, are they, they've purchased land. Are they actually making wine on the premises? So 43, it was purchased, uh, I believe, around September of 43, so a little bit late for that harvest because um, that was really right in the middle of harvest. Right. Uh, so 44, I think, it was our first real vintage production at the winery itself. So we have uh, a bottle of 1944 vintage select Cabernet. A bottle of 44 claret, and someone just brought over and donated a bottle of 44 burgundy. So we have three bottles, and these are still full um, of 1944, so the first vintage uh, at the winery. So this year actually is 75 years of, of, of crush, harvest, winemaking. Cool. I noticed that yeah. you did not bring any of those vintages. That vin the 44 vintage into the studio today to taste. Well, I would have, but they don't travel very well. <laughs> I don't think I would either if I was 75 <laughs> years old in a bottle. Well, that's that's a, a remarkable story. And then, of course, uh, Cesare and Rosa had two boys. Uh, two boys, two girls. Two boys, so, two girls. So yeah. So we know uh, Peter and Robert. Yep. Um, and they grew up in the wine business. Yeah, they grew up in the wine business. Uh, my aunts were kind of ancillary to the to the business. Okay. Very cool. So fast forward now, 75 years later, what are you most proud of at Charles Krug? I think what I'm most proud of is the fact that we have continued this for 75 years, four generations. Uh, the fourth generation is coming along. My son sits on our board. Uh, he's learning the wine business as well, uh, even though he lives in uh, Italy at this point. Um, and uh, so we, we see a good 
uh, good runway for generations to come, uh, remaining as a family-owned business in an environment that is increasingly consolidating. Not only the distribution system, how it gets to to uh, restaurants and wine stores, but also uh, consolidating the winery side as well. There's more and more wineries being sold and, right. and consolidated into uh, wine groups, wine companies. Well, I, I will say that it is an absolute delight whenever I have the pleasure of going to Napa Valley to stop by Charles Krug. It it just feels, and I can't think of a better word, Peter. I wish I. It's, it just feels authentic. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Well, thank you. Just, we, we yeah. We like to be authentic. The family's there. We're engaged. Um, we have the history there. We have well, recently now it's you know five seven years ago we we redid our hospitality center, moved it into our historical redwood cellar, which was built in eighteen seventy two. And great architect, which really preserved the flavor and the essence of what that building is and was and what happened in it through the many decades. So, Well, I got to come visit. I haven't, I haven't yeah. been back since that renovation. Oh, oh, you have to come back for so, that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a call. Yes. All right. So we, we talked about how the Mondavi name, so well known throughout Napa. Um, and, and one of the things I know that your family name is associated with is philanthropy. And I know that you're passionate about philanthropy. I'd like to just spend a few minutes just talking about what you're doing and, and some of the things that uh, uh, you're involved with from a, a, a philanthropic side. Yeah, we've been involved with, uh, of course, Make-A-Wish over uh, many years, uh, not only locally, but um, throughout the country as well as, as we travel. So uh, we've done very, very, you know, a lot with that, with that organization. And then we also focus a lot on local organizations, um, helping out, uh, whether it's, you know, Napa Valley Vintners, the fundraiser there through Auction Napa Valley. We've hosted it multiple times at the winery, the Friday Barrel Auction Marketplace we've had there. Um, there's other events, uh, Clinical Lay is uh, the local um uh, health provider for uh, you know the uh, underserved in Napa Valley. Uh, we do a lot of uh, we've done events for them as well, fundraising events, uh, things like that. We're trying to be also a cultural hub uh, in Napa Valley, um, not l- a little less on the fundraising side, but to get the locals together uh, to come over to the wine. We have a sunset um, cinema series where you know, Friday nights we. Uh, go out on the lawn, have a big blow up, some great audio, and and have a uh, an interesting film. And we run it through the uh, Napa Valley Film Festival group. They help us, so we try to get some talent, whether it's an actor or a director, or producer, there to talk about the film. Uh, we do that. We have a, a new series starting called um, uh, SIP, series of interesting people. So it's just oh, a talk, pretty cool. You know, talk from uh, uh, you know some interesting. Person, so you know, think you know, Ted Talkish yeah. type thing. Any wine for, involved for in a group? <laughs> oh, of course. There's always there's always wine involved, and we have a comedy series. Uh, so things to bring the locals um, uh, for something for them to do, and, and bring their out of town friends, things like that. So yeah, that that's part of the cultural hub. But yeah, over the years we've we've done fundraisers for local schools. Um, yeah, it's we we try to be uh, really engaged with the community there. So I know you're a busy guy, right? We talked about your philanthropy. We know 
how busy you are at the winery with Charles Krug. But I also know that you're very passionate about your alma mater. Oh, yeah. So, and you spend <laughs> a lot of time there. Uh, yeah. You, you, uh, you're you're a, an educator or a lecturer? Well, uh, a variety of things uh, over the many years. Uh, of course, we're, we're talking Stanford, and I've been, you know, my father went there, my uh, uncle went there, uh, my wife went there, and uh, son our son went, went there. there. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's quite a legacy. But uh, you know, I've I've uh, been on the board for the, the the business school alumni association. I've lectured in the in the law school about wines, more the kind of the the uh, legal side of wines uh, in the engineering department. Um, talking about is interesting. Uh, it was an interesting um, um, class. Uh, good products, bad products. What what is kind of beyond just a standard engineering. Uh, you get in the passion of things, and uh, and so as flavors aroma was the topic of the class, which you know wow. wine fits yeah. right into that one. So that Perfect. that that, right that was a fun fun one as well. Uh, so yeah, done tastings down there as well. So yeah, active in in a number of ways uh, uh, at Alamana, and it's it's only two hours away. So Peter Mondavi, you are a busy guy. Ah, oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't. Young. It doesn't seem busy to me. Yeah, I'm looking at you. You're like, you're, I know we're the same age, but you're 20 years younger. So. Uh, I got to work at that. Oh, good. I'm glad. Hey, listen, you did mention make a wish. So my wish is that we try this Charles Krug Cabernet Sauvignon that's open in front of us right now. Oh, that would be great. So we can make that wish happen. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the wine we've got open. So the and, wine uh, is our 2015 uh, Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. It is a state bottled. What that means, it comes from our own vineyards uh, within Napa Valley and crushed, fermented, bottled at the winery under you know, our full uh, oversight there. Um, and the first vintage, as I mentioned earlier, we made a Cabernet in 1944, and we've been making one ever since. So this is really the wine we're we're most known for. Is well, the uh, this Cabernet? This is this is beautiful. I wish we had Smell-O-Vision or I guess Smell-O-Audio. Because <laughs> yeah. as soon as we opened this bottle, the entire studio just filled up with blackberry. Yes, and it, it, cassis. I mean, you yeah. you don't even have to put your nose in the glass just to. You know, if if my producer walked in right now, <laughs> she would think she was actually walking into a winery. This is just a phenomenal yeah, the aromatics this, on this. Is yeah, I lo- love the aromatics, and you're right. It's it's more the kind of black fruit notes. Wow, uh, like currants and, and blackberry, blueberry. You know, as opposed to red fruit, where you right. think raspberry, strawberry. That's those. That's a different. Styles of wine, different right. types of wine, but this one, dark, deep dark fruit. I don't know whether I want to drink it or dab it behind my ears. <laughs> but, you know, it, it does age in oak as well, a little bit. So you get hints of oak, a little, just a subtle hint of vanilla on the nose. Wow. Just a subtle hint. So what I love about this is the oak is not overpowering this at all. You know, uh, I had a winemaker once tell me, Oak is like salt. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah. And too much is it's, too much. It's too much. Right? This is perfect. Yeah. So we're trying to, I mean, you're buying a bottle of Cabernet, so let's taste the Cabernet grape oh. and just supplement it, enhance it with, with uh, oak. It has nice, bright acidity, which is really important 
two things for longevity of the wine, but I think most important for me is it's more food friendly uh, yeah. with a little this brighter really acidity. Yeah, yeah. What would you have this with? Oh, what do I have this with? Uh, you know, pork chops, a nice uh, steak, uh, you know, a filet would be great. Uh, a bolognese sauce, rich sauce like okay. that, um, and pasta. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not too hung up on the food wine thing. If it works for you, great. Um, I have um, only a couple, couple food wine hangups. One, often if you have an artichoke, and a wine, it makes the wine taste like a copper penny. Right. So that's one thing to be careful of. And two is dry, bigger red wines like this. I I shy away from desserts and chocolate too. People think it's a great combination. I don't think that works. Right. Those are one, kind of my pet peeves on food pairing. Outside of that, it's wide open. I mean, I, yeah. cedar plank uh, salmon, I do that all the time. <sighs> that's and cedars of uh, salmon's kind of a rich fish so uh, it works nicely as well well you've got the beautiful tannins to just cut through that fattiness of the of the salmon yeah but you know personally i think i'd even drink this wine with shoe leather (laughs) this is great so Um, it actually is a bit of a blend it's 87 percent cabernet and there's some petit verdot merlot and cabernet franc in there as well very cool that really does add a lift to it yeah to make it a little more complex did not pick up the merlot in this Um, well our merlot is it's planted in specific sites that really enhance the Merlot character. And if, if done properly, Merlot is very commensurate to a Cabernet. So then it can kind of, it, it slides in without being uh, as notable in the wine. Now, nine times out of 10, I'm drinking these wines or tasting these wines during our interviews. And I have a, a cute little spit cup here. Um, I'm, I'm not using it. My spit cup's dry. <laughs> Mine is too. And and by the way, um, oops, I don't know if we can say this, but we're, we're recording this in the morning. And, we are. Um, that's when most of our critical wine tasting occurs in the winery. It's sure. It's in the morning. Right. Because your palate is fresh. It's very fresh. Yep, absolutely. You have to leave an hour or so between like, brushing teeth and drinking that coffee. Right. Uh, but then you get in a sweet spot to really critically, yeah. You know, I agree. Uh, this is actually the, my favorite time to taste wine. Yeah. Unfortunately, right now I'm drinking it. <laughs> so it just, but with that said, I thoroughly enjoy my wines with dinner. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for being here today, Peter. It has been a, an absolute privilege to have you here on the Vine Guy podcast. Oh, Scott, thank you very much, and thank you for the invitation. That's wonderful. Once again, um, Peter Mondavi Jr. from Charles Krug Winery. We are drinking the 2015 Charles Krug Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, I would uh, tell you to just rush out and get this because it is delicious. Thanks so much for listening to The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. You can find those wines listed on the episode's description on the Podcast One page. Follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy, and be sure to catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and WTOP.com. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode. Music for this episode is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Until the next time, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. 
Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com/podcast1. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.